This is BTS with CTV Behind the Scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos, and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to the reality of covering the fires that wipe out people's homes and livelihoods. The sky's just lit right up. And the fire spread quickly, consuming three houses on Safflower Crescent, two garages, and damaging 11 other structures, even as the fire crews arrived at 3 in the morning. It just blew up, right? So it was nuts. We got up and looked through our window, bedroom window. The flame was 50 feet in the air. They are a sadly common story on local newscasts, the flames that rob families of irreplaceable belongings. Moments here and there where it kind of hits you, but... Um, it's just been just been a blur. And entrepreneurs of their small businesses. A beloved local restaurant, the Topanga Cafe, which first opened 40 years ago. It's one of the Vancouver institutions for sure. For the reporters covering these very sad stories. Yeah, the waterfall window there, that's us. We can't help thinking that could be any one of us. And we try to bring that humanity to our reporting. He knows if the wind had been blowing the other direction, his house could have burned too. We're just lucky. I mean, it could have been so much worse. We survived that, and I just, it's overwhelming. Very yeah, overwhelming to think very. about. We're going to start out with John Woodward today. Thank you so much for being on BTS with CTV. Thanks very much for having me. Again. Again, yeah. It's good to have Second you back. Second time. Yes. Um, you covered an absolutely devastating fire in Chilliwack last week. Widespread damage, actual destruction. Describe that feeling when you arrive to a scene and you see just how bad it is, and these are people's homes. How how tough is that? Oh, it's tough. I mean, actually arriving at that scene, I remember actually looking around and saying, "What? where was the building that burned? Because normally you show up and there's husks of buildings and it's black and there's something. But in this case, there was a space where those houses used to be. And you had to go actually a little bit farther up the road to see the... The scale of this devastation, I mean, we were talking three full homes were destroyed, I think two garages as well. So this is a, a good chunk of that block on Safflower Crescent. And it's only when you actually got to the, almost to the to the doorstep of that house, you realize where it should have been. It should have been right there. And it was just gone. And that's a, a really unnerving thing to see, especially in a neighborhood. You know, I live in a street kind of like that. And to imagine that a whole house, actually five or six buildings could be just wiped off the face of the map. Um, that's yeah, that's hard. It's humbling, right? Because we assume that with technology and smoke detectors and our fire departments and everything else, the the ability to get there quickly and communication and everything else, but we're still so vulnerable to something so primal like that, and it can just wipe out everything that you have in the world. Yeah, yeah, and you see this sort of hole in the ground where these people's lives were. I mean, that's that's really tough. I, in that particular case, I got in touch uh, with so I think it was six families that were displaced. That day, we were able to get in touch with two of them, and then uh, over the following days, in touch with a few more. But uh, it's this—you uh, know—they—they they just were literally left with nothing. They were woken up. In in one case, it was a neighbor knocking on the door at three in the morning, saying, "Get out!" And they picked up their stuff and uh, their their themselves. I shouldn't say they didn't pick up much stuff. They picked up themselves and got out, and that was that was that. And so the friends we were talking to just said, "Look, you know, they don't have." A, you know, we can we can get them a place to stay tonight. We'll worry about a place to live later because they aren't going to need furniture because they don't have clothes. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, a fundraising push from that one uh, that one really wonderful family that uh, brought one of these um, one of these displaced families into a coach house that was on their property nearby in Chilliwack. 
and uh, they said, you know, they, they just need clothes. And one of the things I really liked was how um, the young girl, I think her name was Montana. She was about seven or eight or so. And the thing in her mind was this family, who's a friend of hers as well, that's one of the reasons they were so close, that girl needs a companion. So she went out and got a beanie baby and, uh, and you know, held it up for the camera. It's like, this is so she doesn't feel so alone. And I just thought, that's, that's really nice that a little kid could get that about what a fire could do, is you, is you really have nothing. You, you even, even a little beanie baby is all the companionship this girl had in the world at that point. And these stories, I mean, they're visually shocking to see the flames and the scale of the devastation. But at the end of the day, these stories are actually about people. They're intensely personal. And it can be really um, delicate and challenging trying to approach people to talk about it Again, we, we, when we do these stories, it's so that other people will think about the risks and will think about whether it's a you know plug for your heater, it's happened in the wintertime, that it can be quite a fire risk or a working smoke detector. That's why we do these stories. And when we approach people, it's very sensitive and it's a very delicate thing to try to approach them after something like this has happened. Yeah, that's completely true. So, so the family I was talking about before, their friends were very interested in, in getting the word out. But that second family was the exact opposite. So... Uh, it was a woman that I approached outside her car because I could tell she had uh, blankets with her, and it was clear they were trying to salvage what they could from the wreckage. And I said, hey, from CTV News, is there, um, we're just hoping to talk to people about it. And you could tell on her face right away, I, this, is, this, is a tough, this is one of the toughest things I've ever been through, and the emotion was on her face. And I knew, you know, that wasn't the time. She had her uh, 10-year-old son with her, and, and it was tough, but... They pointed over to the fire department across the street that was just coming out with a little cat cat carrier. And inside was this little cat named Coco, who they had thought had died in that fire. They'd spent 12 hours thinking they, they lost uh, their cat as well. And out she comes, and the firefighters, you know, re- there's this reuniting with this family together. And, you know, she didn't want to talk, but I said, do you mind if we get a photo of the cat? Because... What a what a story, you know. Nobody died in that fire, thank goodness. But the news that a cat had also survived, I just thought was a was a really, you know, a really nice moment. Um, and so we made sure we had a little note about that on the news that night that the cat had survived. Well, it speaks to the dedication of the firefighters because they've got a big job to do, but they're also, again, thinking about the people at the heart of this and what matters to them. It's not just about saving their home. It's about the things that are important to them. And they recognize that, and I think that shows that recognition. Yeah, I mean, the firefighters, I can't think of a time recently where we've had to do a a story about them doing anything wrong. I mean, for the most part, they're dedicated people. They hop on their fire trucks at a moment's notice, and, uh, and, and and they get the job done. And in this case... The neighborhood in Chilliwack was very tightly packed houses, which is which is good for density uh, to a point, and uh, it, it created a struggle in that when the fire was lit at the back of one of those garages, it spread very quickly through those tightly packed homes. So um, they were only able to start a defensive perimeter around the three, well, the three homes and the two garages that that were obviously goners. But if you went and you looked at that perimeter, you could see it was devastation on one side. And then some melted siding on the other. And so that shows you how effective they can be. If they, if they mark that perimeter, I don't think the fire is going to go much farther. And, that, you know, that takes a lot of skill and, and uh, dedication and, and a bit of a lead foot to get there in time. 
And they often have procedures in place. And I know in the city of Vancouver, they will throw a lot of resources just to keep it from multiplying in size. But I know in Surrey, I was covering a, a story a couple of years ago. It was a tragedy where uh, two seniors had died. Um, I believe there was an oxygen tank involved, uh, and there was a fire in the house that had started, affected the the oxygen tank, which then exploded. And as we hear so many times in stories like this, there was no working smoke detector in that home. And so the story became for us that morning, I had I learned for the very first time from Fire Chief Len Garris that there's a policy in Surrey that they actually go to homes in uh, in that given neighborhood where there's been a fire of a similar age to inspect their and they offer free a smoke detector inspections to see if they're working because they probably aren't. Lo and behold, across the street was a very sweet uh, elderly woman at the same age as a couple. She knew them. They were her across the street neighbors. Her smoke detector was not working either, and she was so grateful to the fire department for coming by and offering to do that for her for free. So that was a lovely story in that, you know, we got to see the effectiveness of this, uh, you know, fire chief's policy. But then I found out a couple weeks later from uh, one of our camera people, someone that she had been talking to just randomly had seen that story, and they said... You know, I never realized that smoke detectors are only good for 10 years and you have to replace them every 10 years. So there was literally, it's like as a journalist, like I felt like my heart grew three sizes because somebody had seen that story and and I didn't know you had to replace them every 10 years. So I just, it felt so good that at least one person had seen that story and the takeaway from this tragedy was, oh my God, my smoke detector has been there since I owned this house for however long ago. I got to replace that even though it's passing the test. Like that's that's why we do this job. Well, and, and this stuff I found out. I feel like I'm almost a walking encyclopedia on fire knowledge now. Like if before I started this job, barbecue up against the side of the house. What's the problem? Now move it out. You know, don't don't leave it alone for a minute and let us let some kind of heat or spark light your house on fire. Because I've been to those situations and I remember one uh, townhouse fire uh, in Langley or Surrey. Um, where with that barbecue was just leaning against the side of the wall and you could watch where the fire had gone up from there uh into the soffits and then jumped townhouses through the roofs and you know it went from being one guy on his with his barbecue up to up to five or six people's houses uh, or homes uh uh really really wrecked so so yeah not gonna do that with a barbecue and then the other thing that always strikes me is when we when we follow up these families some of them don't have insurance and that is just another kick because you've lost everything and now you're going to lose a whole lot more money to replace it. And I, I can't remember what story it was, but at some point after a few of those, I realized, you know what, I better get, I better get some insurance myself. Because, uh, and, you know, if, if anyone's listening, it's a great investment. I think at the time it was $25 a month. I was just going to say, I think it's only 20 or 30 bucks because I, I, I had a similar thing. And, and I hope that our storytelling and when we make those realizations, I think that when we insert those in our stories, that humanizes it and it makes a connection with our viewers again because we're just like them. I mean, yeah, you know, we've got to powder our faces before we go on TV. We seem like different people, but we are, we have families. We're, we're renters or we're homeowners or whatever. So I think that when we put that into our stories, it helps convey that as well. Yeah, because you don't want to have to have been through a fire yourself to no, understand this. Yes. And we, we will happily go to the scene of a fire uh, to, to get that experience and bring it to you via television and the Internet. So, I, if the, yeah, I, I really hope. And actually, I think I believe you're right when you say there are people out there who are learning from this and who, and who are going to take these measures because it's better for them. And, if you know, if you, it's, it's not just you don't just watch the news to kind of absorb what happens around. You, you watch it so that you can learn. And, and I think taking some of these measures is one of the best ways you can learn. 
I want to bring in Sarah McDonald now because Sarah, you recently dealt with a, a devastating fire in Kitsilano. Yeah, this was a couple weeks ago. Um, we don't usually have big complex fires uh, in that area. It's Fourth Avenue, a pretty. It was the only heritage building actually left on that block, and it actually ended up being a restaurant that had been there. We were told for decades, more than forty years, uh, that burned down. It's called the Topanga Cafe, um, and we heard from a bunch of residents when we got there that it's sort of a neighborhood hub. A lot of them were really upset, of course, that the cafe had burned down, but also multiple complexes were also destroyed, uh, numerous ones on top of the restaurant. And the fire actually breached a firewall, which is kind of rare in this day and age, and it went through uh, into almost a brand new complex beside it. So some of the units there were also totaled. And part of the reason that we, the fires like this are so rare is because in the city of Vancouver, they are really proactive. They send a whole lot of resources. They'll uh, crank it up to second or third alarm. They'll just keep mm-hmm. sending resources because they, I believe it's a fire can double in size every seven minutes or something. I, I'm probably wrong on, on that stat, but it's something super startling. So in the city of Vancouver, fires like that, you're right, they are so rare because of the resources they throw at this. So something like this, it, caught, it was a shock to see what happened. It was surprising. And actually, we were that morning, um, we were actually heading out to Surrey to cover a fire out there when we got turned around because the smoke, we saw it from our station in downtown Vancouver. So we could see it from our Shangri-La camera, which uh, is on the Shangri-La building in downtown Vancouver. But we were all kind of looking and wondering where the smoke was coming from. So our producer said, just before you head out to Surrey, can you just take a drive down, just see if you can find where the smoke is coming from. So I sort of drove into the Kits area, was weaving in and around the blocks, and then hit Forth and, and McDonald. And it was, it almost looked apocalyptic. Like it, it was just, you know, there was water, the streets were flooded. Um, there was probably three or four dozen residents just standing out on the street. This is again for the morning show. So it was 530 in the morning. Uh, a lot of them were in their pajamas. They were saying, oh, we just, we just woke up and we woke up by our neighbors at the fire alarm and we just ran outside and they're sort of watching their units or their neighbors' units burn and even if they're not burning they're watching we saw a lot of them their units were having severe water damage at the very least so their units are essentially getting flooded uh the good news in this case which whenever we we cover fires as you know penny that it's always good news when nobody's been injured or killed of course and in this case as well also all of the animals got out and there were a ton of it must have been an animal friendly building obviously because there were more than a dozen, two dozen dogs, a bunch of cats. Um, and that is something that often gets sometimes overlooked when we hear about stats of fires is we don't hear, we'll hear, oh, no, there were no fatalities. But then after the fact, it's, oh, but also maybe a few animals didn't survive. Um, so it was it was good to see that, that all the owners were able to get their, their animals out, but also just barely. Some of them said they, they had seconds to grab their cats, grab their dogs, and, and just run outside. So... So paint us a picture then of, because the morning show is, it's a very long broadcast. You're able to kind of, as it's unfolding, you have to be reporting every 30 minutes on this. So paint us a picture of what it was like for you trying to gather information, relay it, be in position in time, because that's that's a hectic shift. Right, it is. But in that sort of, when it's live breaking news, the morning show is almost ideal for that from a broadcaster situation because you're back on air every half an hour. And as a reporter, you know that, it's it's good to be able to come back every half an hour and say, oh, we have new updates. We have new updates. Um, usually throughout the day, we would be posting updates on Twitter, posting them online through our website. Um, but with the morning show, it's, yeah, it goes by so quickly because you barely have time to catch your breath. You're up doing a hit and then 
in this case, we would turn around, ask the fire chief or the deputy fire chief on scene, you know, for an update. We'd get an update, and it was developing so quickly. And they were saying, okay, well, now this is a three-alarm fire. Now we have more crews on scene. And as we were there throughout the morning, just more and more crews were showing up. More and more people started showing up. It was Kitsilano again, which is, and at this point it was, you know, 7.38 in the morning. People are waking up. Some of them came and said that, they, oh, we were watching your newscast, and we wanted to know what was going on, so we just came down to kind of see what's happening. Um, so... Typically, with the morning show, in in situations like this, we just said, scrap the script altogether, we're just going to go live. So typically, with morning show hits, they're relatively structured in the sense of we have, our editors know what we're running, we have clips that we know what we're running from from 4 o'clock in the morning onwards. In this case, we said, just scrap the script. Um, We sent in some interviews with some residents and people that had lost their homes, and we said, you know, just let's get that clip and let's air it and we'll just sort of that clip. So it's almost in terms of a breaking news sense, it's kind of what journalists and reporters I think live for in the sense of it's, it's, you feel like you're actually in, in the moment and in the middle of breaking news. So, and you are, and, and I have to say that it's not just Vancouver, but uh, jurisdictions throughout Metro Vancouver, the fire departments are so excellent about being available to give us information because people want to know and we're their conduit for that. They, a lot of them do have Twitter and other methods of getting it out there, but when it's safe for them, for the chief or the battalion chief, whoever's there to get away and give us an update, they are so professional and so excellent with giving us updates so that people know. Because sometimes there are rumors and it's, oh, I heard that there's evacuations. And so when we can go straight to the battalion chief or whoever's in charge and they are so forthcoming with the information, it makes all the difference in the world to be able to give people accurate information about what's happening. It makes a world of difference. And actually, well, last week we were in Chilliwack for the other another big fire and yeah, once again, I mean, same thing, morning show, we were out there at six in the morning, and I think the battalion chief came up, and right then and there is able to give us an interview on the scene, and our overnight cameras know this as well, they'll just come up and and just the facts right away, which for us is so important to have, so just the numbers, people, you know, residents homeless, buildings destroyed, um, any injuries or fatalities, of course, and for us, as you said, that is so important to have those facts before we go to air, and and. I would say most, if not all, fire departments in Metro Vancouver and Fraser Valley are amazing in that sense. And this was no different in Vancouver. It was we actually had the battalion chief offering to give us live interviews. He was it was it's a ama- it's such a great source. And a lot of other, in some other officials, you know, aren't aren't like that. Um, I think police is a bit different when it comes to getting interviews right away. But yeah, it was. Um, it definitely makes a world of difference for us, and especially when every minute counts in terms of, of going live to air. And yeah, so we're, we're grateful for that. Sarah, one of the toughest things is trying to approach people who may have been impacted just to find, part of it is trying to find out what happened, what did you hear, you know, what's going on. And you often don't know, are you approaching a neighboring suite that maybe is still intact? Are you approaching somebody who's lost everything? It's a very delicate uh, situation to be in. And you had a really awkward situation dealing with the uh, Topanga Cafe fire. Right. Well, yeah. And as you said, it's always a bit of a delicate situation because I think in fires, especially people are still in shock, understandably, when and a lot of them are just standing there watching their homes burn and watching everything that they own. I can't imagine what that would be like to watch, you know, everything that you own being destroyed right before your eyes. And we, um, yeah, we, at the Topanga Cafe, the Kitsilano fire, we ended up talking to a couple. They were standing outside in their pajamas and we just said, you know, what's your story? Where, what unit are you in? And they said, oh, actually our unit is, and they kind of, they pointed to 
the building that was burning, which was the Topanga Cafe building, and they said, that's it. Up until a moment ago, thanks to my friend who brought some clothes, I was wearing pajamas and, uh, and a cell phone with no charge <laughs> and, and some shoes, but we just... I just now, like, the list of things that is in there that's gone, like the wedding band, and that, anyways, it's, it's all gone. <laughs> it's our 15th anniversary today, so it's not the ideal way to celebrate that. Um, but, you know, we're, we're okay. We're alive. Yeah, yeah. The fire department is here. They got here at a good time. The management and ownership of the building are here, very yeah. supportive. And me and our camera guy, Murray Titus, we were kind of standing there, and it's, what do you say at that point, right? It's watching somebody have that realization, it's tough. You feel for them. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. So, and especially this, in this case, that couple, they were also really positive and they said, you know what? We're alive. So that's, that's all that matters. We're alive. Our neighbors are alive. It's not the ideal way to celebrate our anniversary, but you know what? We're going to get through it. They were insured, which is... They're huge huge there are also of course some things that you can't replace your wedding rings your photo albums but they were saying you know we're insured some of our neighbors aren't and that as you know is a whole other issue especially with tenants with renters happens again and again and that's part of the reason we do these stories is to remind people this is what can happen and i i think that the majority of the stories that we cover people aren't insured it's horrible it's a good wake-up call and even as as a renter as a tenant like when i started renting it's a good wake-up call for even you know people like me i was like oh because we've seen this happen time and time again you don't think it's ever going to impact you but as we've seen i mean fires don't they're not selective they don't you know they don't spare people because of where you live they don't you know so in this case it was started by smoking material which can happen anywhere and i i feel like that's a cause that we typically don't hear of much anymore because we like to think you know that people are more informed and educated about how to properly dispose of smoking material but in this case you think of oh that's one discarded cigarette and that's caused you know probably upwards of 100 we don't have we don't know the exact numbers but dozens if not more than 100 people to be out of their homes indefinitely at this point so since then there has been an outpouring of support including an online fundraiser i think that's what's been the most amazing is just everyone was just immediately there and willing to do anything people we knew and people we didn't know incredible incredible support from so many people John, I just kind of want to wrap this up with a a point that you made earlier about just the community coming together when something like this happens, when people open their homes, when there's GoFundMe. It's such a terrible moment in a family's life or in multiple families in the case of this Chilliwack fire. It is just so heartwarming to see when people open their homes, open their wallets and, and, and people just rushing in to try to help. Yeah, I think that seeing the community in action is one of the most heartwarming things. And in that Chilliwack fire, you know, that that community was put together. It was really integrated and and you could tell just by stepping into it there were there were people who were staying in neighbors' homes I heard about. It was it, it was really uh really something to behold and it was really special to go to that that other that uh, other families that uh, Montana and family who were who were welcoming people in. And I, and it also happens through us, too. I mean, we're part of that community at CTV. And so when people see these stories on the news, oftentimes they'll reach out. And so there's a number of times when I've gotten emails from viewers saying, you know, that, that story about so-and-so affected by the fire really touched me. Is there anything I can do? And that's a really, uh, really great thing to, to hear as a reporter, that you're, the way you've, you know, um, represented what happened has been 
touching enough that it actually brings the community together in that way. Two people who may never have known each other, a stranger wants to help somebody in need. I think that's a really you know, fulfilling part of this job. We see that again and again. There was a massive uh, townhome complex fire in, I believe it was Langley, a couple years ago. And the donations that were, I mean, people were coming in with boxes and boxes full of clothing and everything that they could to help people. That's, it just kind of restores your faith in humanity. After you do the the bad news stories where people are so awful to each other, to have those examples when they're so wonderful to each other, I think the same way it touches us, I think it touches our viewers as well. Yeah, and and I'm glad. I think we're doing our jobs if we're relaying the facts and that emotion because that's part of what you know being human is and part of what being in a community is, is is feeling that care for your fellow person and so if we can be if we can play a part in that and I know I have and I know a number of other reporters here have then then we're doing our jobs thanks so much for being on the podcast thanks very much for having me again thanks for having us I also want to thank Adam Lee for his support with archival audio this week. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daflos.